And we are live. Live. Welcome, viewers, to Sarah and Abby's Vegan Adventures. Starring Sarah Sarah and Abby. Abby. So we actually got some feedback from some viewers that we were laughing too much. Um, And we would just like to say that we think we're really funny. Yeah. um, I like to laugh. Shoot me. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know if the viewers know this, but our very own Sarah from Sarah and Abby's Vegan Adventures is a catch certified canine trainers academy certified dog trainer. She is also certified in fear free training, and she has seven years of experience working with canine Americans. <laughs> now, <laughs> today we're going to be discussing some some common uh, quote tools that. Mm-hmm. Trainers like to use quote trainers. Quote trainers like to use with our fellow canine Americans. Um, <laughs> and we're just gonna be just talking, you know, getting into a dialogue. This isn't, you know, an attack on anybody. This isn't, con- you know, condescending. This isn't. This is just a dialogue. Yep. And we want to provide some information and you know, believe us when we say we have done our homework. So we're ready for you. Sarah, start us off. Okay, so common aversives. So shock collars, the collars that have those little prongs in them that deliver a static electricity. Those are, they're called e-collars too. Um, Prong collars are collars that they have those, you know, prongs, the metal links with prongs that sit on the dog's neck and choke collars are the metal chains that tighten. Just so now what, what is an aversive Sarah? What for our viewers? What, what are we talking about here? Is this like a dog code thing? No. So an aversive applies to any type of learning, you know, human or animal, even insects. Ooh, they're starting to do some research with that. Um, so an aversive is, any unpleasant stimuli that induces changes in behavior via negative reinforcement or positive punishment. Okay, so negative reinforcement is removing a stimulus in order to increase the likelihood of a behavior. So the negative simply means removing something. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It just Mm -hmm. means removing something. And reinforcement means to increase the likelihood of a behavior. So an example of negative reinforcement as it pertains to dogs could be teaching recall. You could tell the dog to come. The dog doesn't come. You start shocking them. You hold the button down, shock, shock, shock. And then once the dog finally turns around to come to you, you stop shocking them. So what that's doing is removing that stimulus in order to increase the likelihood of the dog coming to you when you call them. Okay. Okay. So positive punishment now. Again, positive, negative doesn't mean good or bad. Positive simply means adding something. And punishment means to decrease the likelihood of a behavior. So those three tools that I just mentioned are fall under the category of these two things, mainly positive punishment. Okay. So punishment to a dog would be correcting a dog. When you give a leash correction, when you use a prong collar or an e-collar, that's punishment. And you can't have negative reinforcement without the addition of positive punishment because it always starts out with positive punishment, like that shock collar recall example. 
that make sense? It makes sense to me, but you know, I, I was a psychology major. <laughs> um, no, um, yeah, uh, I I think it also people. It's easier for people to understand it with like kid examples. So what what is a positive punishment if your kid misbehaves? So spanking your kid would be positive. Okay. Um, yelling. Yelling. Um, intimidating them, like hitting a wall or stomping your foot. Okay. Um, anything again that's adding something when you so want what them about to stop something. The negative and what's a negative punishment? So like taking away TV time or taking away dessert? Yeah, or like a timeout. Okay. Removing something to decrease the likelihood of behavior. Mm. Whether you're removing the child like the stimuli around the child, right? Because you're putting them in a timeout. Or you're removing TV time, or you can't have dessert. Like consequences, basically. Yes. Like, okay. Yes. And then, so what? Negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. So, a positive would be like, oh, you cleaned your room, so you can have a lollipop. Yeah. Or good job, just good job cleaning your room. Or yeah, giving them. You get to go to your friend's house later because you cleaned your room. Oh, you ate your um, vegetables. Now you get to have cake. Um, for our dogs, okay. positive reinforcement is praise, treats, access to the outdoors, um, a bunch of things. Petting, affection, playtime, anything that your dog deems as a reward, which differs across, you know, every dog because they're all different. Okay, so what are, I mean, so we talked, you talked about shot collars. Are there other aversive, aversive to use with dog training? Yeah. So those three that I just mentioned are, you know, in my opinion, the most harmful and the most common. But, you know, spray bottles are still an aversive. Mm. Yelling, raising your voice, hitting, um, shaker cans. Those are all considered aversives. Because but, it's an addition. Yes. Right. At, yes. It's the addition of something to stop the dog from doing something. Right. So you're going to spray your dog if their demand barking at you right you're adding something to stop them from barking at you shaker cans the dog's counter surfing some people like to take a can full of coins and shake it mm -hmm. to stop the dog from jumping on the counters so you know what about those sprays those lemon or uh, green the apple citronella oh no the green apple like bitter so that's a little different than what we're talking about but those are still considered aversive so what is the purpose of using an aversive? I mean, why would somebody use an e-collar or, you know, a pinch collar? Like, why, why do trainers advocate for so, these methods? So, the thing about aversives is that they give you quick results. So, going back to the bitter apple and the spray bottle example that we were just talking about, I have been training my puppy without the use of any aversives. I've been trying. So... It's taking a little while longer for him to learn some pretty basic things like not getting into everything around the house, right? So the reason for that is because I haven't been using bitter apple spray. I haven't been using a spray bottle because I really want to practice using positive reinforcement because, you know, those skills are going to stay with him a lot longer. So using aversives tends to give you quicker results. So if I were to spray Russell every time he were to go to my shoe, right? He would get the point a lot quicker 
than with what I'm doing now with doing a lot of leave and giving a lot of praise and redirecting him to other things. But I know that actual training, uh, you know, positive reinforcement and redirections is going to have a longer lasting effect. So trainers like to use aversives because it's, it's quicker. And a lot of times it's easier. Well, and, and this is all based on learning. So when you're teaching anybody, anything, adult, kid, anyone, it, it takes time. I mean, we say training like it's something, you know, I feel like we treat dog training as if it's some foreign um, mm-hmm. concept or idea. But, you know, training, athletic training, you don't become a superstar basketball player overnight. That's time in the gym. That's time perfecting mm-hmm. your skills. You don't become, yes. you don't learn your times tables overnight. I mean, how many times were we sitting at the table with our parents, like frustrated, mm-hmm. didn't know what we were doing? Like, you don't just have that. You do, exactly. you get an aha moment, but it, it comes after weeks and months of, you know, practice and, and learning. It, it's yes. learning. They're learning. Yes, <laughs> it's a, pr- exactly. It's a process and it takes time and there are no shortcuts and when you try to use shortcuts that's where the fallout happens okay so try to use these shortcuts yeah and we'll we'll talk a little bit about those fallouts dun 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 (laughs) that'd be a good spot for a sound effect i know (laughs) well and about skipping steps so like Mm. i know we were talking about earlier trainers like to some those quote trainers again they put the dogs you know, in their, their maximum environment or even over their maximum threshold mm-hmm. because they are skipping the steps. Yes. You want to like talk a little bit about <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, positive reinforcement <coughs> training, like we said, takes a while. So part of that process is introducing your dog to what you're trying to teach them in a low distraction environment, which would be your home. And then gradually increasing the distractions and, you know, the difficulty until you're in the real world situation where you could use it. Like a store. Like a store. So say I have a leash reactive dog. And when he sees other dogs on leash, he barks and lunges, right? I'm going to teach him an alternate behavior. So I'm going to teach him to look at me. I'm not going to start that process at a park with a bunch of dogs when he doesn't even know what look means yet, right? I'm gonna teach him look just in my house, not even with the TV on. Look, teach him look, okay? And then in every room of your house, teach look. And then start adding some distractions, have the kids running around, then take them into your backyard, then around your own neighborhood. You see what I'm saying? You gradually Mm -hmm. increase the distractions. So what a lot of aversive trainers do is maybe they'll teach the behavior, you know, in the house, But then they just go right into the field and start teaching, trying to teach the dog on the the first training session. And that's not, you know, how learning Learning happens. (laughs) Yes. You you can't teach a dog to do something in one session, especially when it's fueled by an emotional response. Mm. So a lot of, you know, these behavioral issues that we use aversives with, right? Like reactivity is probably the main one. Barking. Those are all mostly emotional responses. So you cannot change a dog's emotional response in one training session. So a trainer who tells you, oh, one session and the dog's going to be different. That, that, 
that's just not possible. <laughs> or if you're using a tool and you say, oh, my God, he was a different dog in one sec. It's probably an aversion. <laughs> yes, because the dog was scared and learned that if they do nothing at all, then the aversive stops, right? Think about it. You know, a trainer is a stranger to your dog. <laughs> and another thing is I think advocates of these methods, these aversives say that, you know, you have to be the alpha and you have to dominate mm-hmm. your dog. And mm-hmm. if you use positive reinforcement, then you're just like letting your dog walk all over you mm-hmm. and you're giving yes. your dog too much control. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what, like, is that a thing? I mean, it can, is my dog thinking I'm, I'm a wimp? <laughs> so, yeah, that's really common. A lot of aversive trainers like to say that your dog can't walk all over you. Exactly what you said. The dog thinks they're in control over you. Oh my gosh, they're in charge. No. So dominance and alpha are words that, you know, a lot of trainers like to use. They're very outdated. So they're based off of dominance theory. So dominance theory, you know, is implying that dogs are basically little wolves. So it was based on a study done years and years ago where a group of scientists took a bunch of wolves from the wild and put them into captivity and they observed them and they observed a clear alpha who was very aggressive. There was tons of fighting and that one alpha wolf was the most aggressive and everyone was showing him submissive gestures and rolling on their backs. And it was just a very clear hierarchy. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And the alpha was very aggressive and had to constantly prove his alphaness to the other wolves. So this study was published and all the dog trainers at the time were like, oh, my God, like we have to model our training after this. So we have to be the alpha. We have to constantly prove our alpha to the to our dogs or else they're going to try. And it's a constant power struggle, basically. And if your dog tries to dominate you, that's really bad. Yeah, like, don't let your dog, like, if your dog's looking at you, make sure they look away first. Yes. Or don't let them win at tug of war. Mm -hmm. Don't let them sleep in the bedroom with you. Oh, Mm -hmm. not on the bed. Um, So then the same group of scientists, actually, was like, huh, this study doesn't really make sense because we kind of used captive wolves. (laughs) So let's (laughs) study wolves in the wild. And when they did that, they found that a wolf pack is, is a family unit. It's mom and dad who mate for life. And the cubs. And it's just a natural family unit. Just like you naturally respect and learn from your parents. That's what the wolves do. There's not a constant power struggle because it's, it's, it's understood that these are the adults. You know? So there's That's beautiful. Con- yes. And the alpha, there's rarely aggression within the pack because they're a family and it's just understood. So, yes, there is an alpha, you know, the mom and dad. So it's not it's not a constant power struggle. The alphas are not showing constant aggression. So then these scientists, you know, published this study. But all the dog trainers were like, nah, the other study fits our narrative more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's where we get this whole alpha theory from. And then, you know, branching off of that, dogs and wolves are genetically identical, but they're still considered different species. So it's really not fair to compare our domestic dogs to a wolf pack anyway. So when you study a wild dog, which would be a feral dog, they don't live in packs. They pretty much live by themselves. They'll come together 
for food, for mating, but mom and dad don't mate for life. The mom will chase the dad away and then raises the puppies and then the puppies go away. So it really doesn't apply at all to domestic dogs. Any type of, you know, pack structure, alpha theory thing. Well, and you know what I'm thinking of? Twilight. Mm. Who was the alpha? Sam. Who was the calm? Mm-hmm. Like, didn't... <laughs> he wasn't the toughest or strongest, you know, or exactly. most hot-headed. Like, obviously, you had Jacob, who was, you know, hot-headed. You had Quill and... um. I forget the other one's name. They were like always wanting to fight somebody and always like bursting into their wolf forms. But Sam was the alpha and he was the calm and Mm -hmm. could get them to listen without intimidating them. Yes. Intimidation. Yes. That that's like the root, you know, of all of this. People just think I'm alpha. I have to intimidate my dog. You know? And it and, just doesn't make sense in nature. In any, in any social, you know, group of animals, the alpha is never the aggressor, is, is never aggressive. They're, That's they're, true. They're always calm. And think about, like, leaders, just good leaders in, you know, human, humans. <laughs> in um, human. <laughs> human leaders that we respect are calm and they lead by example. They're not intimidating us. You know, think about your your teachers in school. The teachers that you really liked example. and you really respected were not the mean teachers that were yelling at you. you That's know, a really my, good example. Thanks. I just thought of it. <laughs> my favorite teacher, yeah, like never raised his voice or got like punished us or threatened us or anything like that just respect him and trust and you I bet you remember that class the most like the most material yeah exactly let's talk a little bit about why aversives are ineffective for learning so first of all stress inhibits learning in any species in any being it doesn't matter you know cat dog human baby adult so we have some data here for the viewers So this is from a not-for-profit that works a lot with legislation in Canada. They compiled a bunch of research from scientists who studied the effect of learning and the different methods. So um, we do know that mild stress tends to enhance learning, but that higher or more chronic levels of stress actually inhibit the ability of animals, and that includes humans, to learn. Okay, so U-stress is good stress. E-U stress e-u-s-t-r-e-s okay so you stress is good stress right anytime your body is undergoing any type of like change or excitement that's that's stress on the body and stress could be good you know you you are getting asked on a date your cortisol will rise yeah yes that's stress but that's good stress right and then bad stress is oh my gosh i have to study for this test oh my gosh i'm gonna fail that's obviously bad stress so in that example with that study you know, mild stress, I'm assuming they're talking about you stress because the dog is, they're learning and they're with their owner and it's, it's stress on the body because it's, it's good. Right. I mean, we learned about this in, in psychology that there's like a peak, there's like a curve. If you're stressed, you know, to a certain level, it, it, it increases learning, but then there's a very 
delicate threshold of when it becomes too much Mm -hmm. and then where it inhibits learning. And -hmm. in particular, the ability to consolidate and retrieve memories. So that's again, oh, what does sit mean? I don't remember because I was Mm -hmm. stressed and I learned it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. And aversive because of how it's designed. It's going to cause stress to your dog, which is going to inhibit the learning process. Just because an aversive is, it, it's adding something to decrease a behavior, right? So mm-hmm. the addition of that something is going to stress out your dog. So you can't, a dog isn't going to learn while they're being stressed out. And okay, yes. I found it. It's an inverted U. So just draw you upside down that's the stress curve Mm. and when it's very low pressure so when you're bored when a student is bored they're not learning a lot because they're not being challenged right Mm -hmm. when you have moderate levels and high levels you know moderate to medium levels of pressure and you know that quote stress that's where you have the optimal performance it's what they call the ideal zone that's the top of the u but then It says high, and then when you have that strain, that's where you get the zone of delusion, and the body can't focus anymore. The mind can't focus anymore. And when you get to very high stress, you have burnout. So you could not be challenging the student or the dog enough. You're boring them. There's low performance. Or you're giving them too – it's too much stress, too much pressure, Mm. and they're going through burnout and not forming new memories. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to be within that – you know, if they know sit, don't do sit 10 times, but, you know, challenging them, teaching them new tricks, teaching them new skills, yes. but not putting too much. Again, with that reward-based training, there is a positive correlation between using reward-based training methods and the dog's ability to learn a new task. And again, positive reinforcement improves the learning ability mm. of dogs and higher frequency of punishment was correlated with higher anxiety and fear scores. So again, that's inhibiting learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, how does that factor into aversives? Um, my dog pulls on a leash, right? Mm-hmm. And I decide to use a prong collar on him because he pulls. And every time he pulls, I correct him, right? Because I'm adding something. I'm adding a leash correction to decrease the likelihood of him pulling, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm teaching the dog not to pull, but and, and every time he pulls, I'm giving him a correction. That's going to make him stressed out because I'm the way a prong collar is designed is designed to add, you know, pressure to behi- the pressure points behind the ears, right? Well, so- Sarah, I've usually seen them, like, on their neck. Is that... Oh, okay. so majority of prong collars that I've seen are not even the correct size or fitted correctly on the dog which also makes the use of aversives an issue because the common person who's using them they are not using them correctly so prong collars are designed to sit behind the dog's ears very very high up on the neck size of the prongs are also really important you don't want really big prongs You don't want really small prongs, depending on the size of the dog. So a lot goes into properly fitting a prong collar. Um, So I've noticed, you know, people with prong collars that are loosely hanging on the dog's neck, even below their regular collar, which is just total improper placement anyway. 
um, sometimes people will say, oh, well, I want to be nicer to my dog and make it looser. Well, now that irritation, right, it's rubbing on the dog because it's loose. So now you're hurting, you're hurting the dog even more. So there's really no, you know, right answer. So commonly we see the one low on the dog's neck, right? Because that's like where our dog's regular collars sit. And this is called a collar. So that's what, why would we assume it goes up there, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that causes a lot of issues too, improper fitting. Um, well, because yeah. all the muscles are there, right? I mean, that's all where. Yeah. So even if it's, even if it's fitted properly, it's still going to damage your dog's neck. But improper placement is going to do lots worse damage. And a lot of people, again, who aren't trained with it, know, don't know how to use it. So like I said before, it's designed to give your dog a correction. So where it's placed on that dog behind the ears, right? When the dog pulls, you're supposed to yank it, right? And then the dog's going to get corrected and say, oh, okay, let me not do that. People don't know that and will have the, the collar sitting low on the neck and think that they don't have to do anything and it's just a magic yeah. device. And I've seen dogs straining, pulling on prong collars and choke collars, choking themselves out. Literally. So that's a major problem, which is why these tools should not be sold on the market at all. You know? And they also did studies with... Um, damage the neck um is you can't see people will say oh they're fine they don't they, you don't see it and you don't know what's happening dogs are extremely good at hiding pain you go to your vet mm -hmm. anytime that they, they'll tell you i mean um sarah's older dog had a tumor the size of what how big was it the size of two and a half grapefruits on his liver yeah and and the vet said Oh, I'm sure he's in pain, but dogs are extremely good at hiding mm -hmm. their pain because in the wild, that's, they get killed, you know, yeah. by a predator, whatever, exactly. if they vocalize. But so the research on collar damage said, you know, the majority of dogs equipped with these types of collars um, that are getting leash corrections will sustain some form of injury. So it's not whether or not they will be injured, but how how severe the injury will be mm -hmm. and um again another thing was they studied was restricted movement so when you're restricting your dog's movement it leads to pain muscular tension and sometimes aggression so mm -hmm. because frustration because they exactly. are being restricted fuels aggression soda machine candy machine you put money in to get your chocolate bar because you're starving and you're going to faint <laughs> and you need sugar and you put your dollar in and nothing comes out. So you hit the machine, uh, nothing comes out. So then you start bank, right? Maybe you don't bang it like yeah. a psychopath, but now you're, well, no, you then, then you put in, you put another dollar and you're like, okay, then I'll yeah. just get two. Yeah. Doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work. So now you're pissed. Maybe you give it a little kick. So you're frustrated that <laughs> you didn't get your candy bar or road rage, right? Oh yes. I'm yes. sitting in traffic. And then now I'm honking my horn because I'm pissed because I'm frustrated. Because same you're thing with restricted. Your your movement mm -hmm. is inhibited. You can't get out of the traffic jam. Yep. And, and there's literally and no it way. It just comes down to frustration. And then that frustration fuels aggression. So frustration on a leash being restricted by a prong collar, right? Or even 
if you want to just buy a leash in general, which is why leash reactivity is such a common thing in dogs, they're frustrated because they yeah. cannot get to the dog. So that's really important to, you know, understand. In Sweden, um, they did a chiropractic study and found as many as 91% of dogs with spinal injuries had histories of being pulled and jerked on leads, which I think is crazy. Problems with the larynx and the trachea. Labs are prone to having issues with their throat when they get older. Like my old dog has laryngeal paralysis, maybe because he's a lab, but also we had a trainer that used the versives and my poor old man did have a prong collar when he was young. So maybe that's because of the fact that he's a lab or maybe it's because of the prong collar that that trainer brought over when mm-hmm. I was 10 years old. So it causes problems. Um, what about the, the choke ones, the ones that aren't the prongs? What's okay, wrong with so, those? So again, most people are misinformed that use those. They think that, they, again, it's a magic, some magic tool that they just put on their dog and the dog's going to stop pulling. Um, and they don't have to do anything. They don't have to teach the dog anything. So you'll see dogs straining on their choke collars, right? And yeah, I've never collars, seen one not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so those <laughs> don't have a stopper. So a regular martingale copper collar or even a prong, they won't tighten all the way because there's a stopper. Okay. Um, choke collars, it's a noose. So it will just constrict and constrict and constrict. And dogs have passed out um, because they're, they're getting essentially strangled. You know, so they are very, very, very dangerous. Um, And especially if uh, your dog wears it all the time, a lot of people have choke collars that they just keep on the dogs all the time because it's their tags. Yeah. Yeah. With their tags on it. You know, Um, if your dog gets snagged on something in the house and then freaks out, and especially this can happen on any type of flat collar, which is why it's always best to take your collars off, especially if you leave um, your house, you know, leaving them unsupervised. Mm-hmm. But especially a choke collar, they'll get caught on something, potentially freak out, alligator roll, and now your dog is strangled. To death. Um, to death. But that's, that's really on any collar. Um, so I really recommend that collars be taken off in the house. Um, especially, well, especially if, if you have multiple dogs because yes. them playing on each other can get tangled. Ruger actually did that the other day with Russell. He grabbed onto Russell's collar and was pulling him. So if dogs are playing, right, they have their collars on, they'll grab other, their collars, they'll grab their harnesses. So always try to have as minimal amount of equipment on them if they're playing. Um, yeah, I think the issue is that people think of dogs built in to them is the collar. And the collar is really a tool for safety and for, you know, if your dog is not reactive on a leash, then for walking. But and, I, and identification. Yeah for, sa- yeah, for safety. So when you're in the house and you're going to bet or you know that you're supervising your dog, it's not a chance that they're going to run out the front door. That's a tool. You don't, you don't need it. Yeah. You know. Especially in crates with puppies. You don't want to. I know puppies are squirmy and a lot of times it's a production to have to put their collar and their harness on because they're so wiggly. So people like to just keep it on. But I've read very sad stories of, you know, the same thing. The puppies, just regular collar getting snagged on something jagged in the crate. 
and then they freak out and then they strangle. So take stuff off <laughs> in the house. Okay, what about the people? So my dog is fine. Uh, they don't have any injuries. Okay. What about the psychological damage? I mean, would we see that? Well, I want to talk about physical damage on a shock collar. Too. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm getting so, ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> so prong collars and choke collars, obviously, you know, pressure on the throat can injure the thyroid gland, can cause issues with the larynx and the trachea, all of that. Um, shock collars or e-collars, um, also, you know, invisible fences. This is really the what I'm going to be talking about. Bark collars. Yes. Um if you're using an e-collar for training, most of the time, like people do take those off when they're not training, but invisible fences and bark collars, a lot of people keep those on all day, right? Because they're letting the dog in and out of the house all day. Dogs will end up with um, marks on their neck, sores, right? Where those two little, um, I don't know what they're called, but the two little points where the shock gets delivered on their neck, right? They'll end up with sores there. Um those aren't burn marks because burns are caused by heat and the shocks are, you know, made by static electricity. Wait, but- Sarah, so you're saying you you look this up and you're saying it's not um, yes. a shock? You're, yes. You're admitting that? Yes, it is not wow. a burn mark. I'm not saying that your shock collars are burning your dog's skin. No. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> but if you leave it on all the time, like, you know, invisible fence collars, it will cause skin irritation and necrosis which is dying tissue on the neck because those two metal points are rubbing on your dogs and like I mentioned before with the prong collars people often will keep the invisible fence collars pretty loose right yeah because they don't want to hurt their dogs right which is great um but that can cause more irritation right because they're designed to sit again pretty high up on the neck and just be snug enough so it's not bouncing around when the dog walks. If you loosen that, then those two metal points are going to be rubbing even more and create more irritation. Let me show you this. This is the Invisible Dog Fence website. Should I remove the Invisible Fence computer collar from my dog's or cat's, oh God, neck <laughs> periodically? Yes, it is very important to evaluate or remove the collar nightly because pets grow and change inside. Is it important that you take the time to remove, check, or adjust the collar? Check the fit of your pet's collar to make sure that it fits snugly but not too tightly and is not causing any irritation. Best way to fit the test of the collar is to be able to fit one finger between the correction post. Oh, that's what they're called. Oh. And the skin on your pet's neck. Neck irritation may develop if the collar is too tight but is most likely to take place during one warm, wet, weather conditions, two, with thick-coated dogs, three, during shedding season, or four, any time the computer collar unit is left on for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Failure to check any collar will result in skin irritation or pressure necrosis. These are not burns, since invisible fence uses static correction, but instead the result of skin irritation and not checking the proper fitting of the collar. So this is straight from invisible fence website, guys. Like Pretty much everyone that I know that uses an invisible fence don't take it off at night or ever yeah or ever. i don't because they can't add the five seconds to their daily to take yeah. it so that's just part of being a responsible dog owner you have to research the you know products that 
you're using any any tool that you're using even you know the harness that i love the easy walk harness you have to research that you have to fit it properly you have to make sure you're doing the training properly with it you know and you're doing wrong by your dog if you're you know getting any tool and not following the guidelines and yeah i, I can't even keep talking because I'm, I'm gonna get i'm gonna get i'm gonna get upset <laughs> talk so, about the psychological damage okay so let's use a prong collar example again the prong collars are the one the metal ones not the ones that tighten like a bike not chain. the ones that just look like a chain yeah yeah the ones that are the ones that look evil <laughs> yeah the ones that have the spikes in it they're not making sleeker models that the, the outside is plastic and the inside has the prongs they're not metal they're they're again they're plastic but they're still hard and they're still designed to place pressure on the back of the ear and the pressure point and they're also making now elastic ones that are designed to just tighten when they pull so again you're not even doing it's not even that you're supposed to do a lease correction it's just supposed to quote be a magic tool which is just not Mm-hmm. how learning works again mm-hmm. we talked about the physical harms right that these tools can have on your dog so now what's more what's very important to me is the psychological damage um and the behavioral ramifications that happen because of that so prong collar example we'll use that um i put a prong collar on my dog to get him to stop pulling right so every he my dog loves people right and he pulls because he's pulling towards people. This is an example, guys. Yeah, I was just about to say, this is an example, example, folks. (laughs) Russell does not like people anyway. So anyway, um, dog loves people, pulls, okay. So, okay, I'm the trainer or I'm the handler, right? I'm going to correct my dog every time he pulls, right? Or the split second before he pulls, right? When he pulls towards that person. So. Essentially, what I'm doing now is every single time that my dog sees a person, I'm correcting him, right? Because I know as the handler, oh, I'm correcting him for pulling, right? The dog's point of view, let's see what the dog is learning there. The dog doesn't know that he's pulling, right? The dog's not saying to himself, oh, I'm going to pull towards this person. The dog is saying, person, oh my God, woohoo, right? Yep. Okay. So I've heard them time, say that me in too. English. Yes. So now <laughs> every time the dog sees a person, right, I'm going to give them a leash correction. So now the association was not made between pulling and correction. You just made an association between person and correction. Some people also do this with jumping on people. I spoke about this in another episode where... You know, the dog was so excited to see people that she would jump. So the owner is the trainer actually recommended that they give her a little leash correction when she went to jump. So same thing there, preventing them from pulling, preventing them from jumping. Okay, you make an association now between person and correction. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, right? (laughs) Ooh, that's a sound effect. That's a sound effect. Um. So now your dog that loves people is now going to be like, ooh, corrections coming. This is bad. So some dogs will 
shut down. And by shut down, I mean that they're not going to show any type of emotion because they, again, person equals correction. I'm going to get corrected. I'm just going to not do anything. Right. And, you know, if you're lucky, all your dog will be is shut down in those situations. A lot of people mistake calm, right? Oh, the dog was so calm. Like the trainer came for an hour and like, it was a different dog, right? (laughs) She became so calm around people in one session. Okay, because your dog got corrected enough times that she learned to not do anything at all to stop the correction, right? So if you're lucky, that's what will happen. Now, if you're not lucky, the dog shut down because it's scared, right? So what does fearfulness lead to? Fearfulness can lead to now defensive aggression. So now you made that association between person and correction. Now that dog could potentially become aggressive towards people. And again, this is, or- this is based off of learning theory. This is simple yes. learning. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's learning by associations. It's, it's right there is classical conditioning. Yes. Right there. So you're trying to do, you know, some operant conditioning, right? By training your dog to not pull, training your dog to um, not jump. You're trying to teach them the consequences of a behavior. But in that, you know, you can't have one without the other. You did some classical conditioning there, too, where the dog just learned simple association between person coming into the house, leash correction. And that can really have negative effects and, you know fear issues yeah so people like to use i'm just gonna ramble do it people (laughs) people like to people will see a dog walking next to the the handler or the trainer right um head down tail down and say oh my goodness that dog is so well behaved right it's so calm that dog is so well trained um abby's actually gonna pull up a video or a picture from this training company that I like when you say my name oh thanks that posts a lot of videos of their dogs and they'll say things like oh so and so was so reactive towards people when they came to me now look at them and they'll show a video of the dog wearing a prong collar wearing a shock collar and walking with their head down tail between their legs next to them now I don't see that as a calm and well-behaved dog I see that I see a shut down dog that's scared to do anything else so stress signals are something that's really important to know if you're a dog owner stress signals obviously show when the dog is uncomfortable or if they're showing um you know an appeasement gesture they're, they're not always bad you know dogs communicate through body language so if your dog is showing a stress signal it's like it's normal right um So a lot of dogs in these videos and in these training, I look at a bunch of different training pages and I've noticed that, you know, the dogs with aversive tools on them are exhibiting multiple stress signals. So whale eye. So that would be where the whites of the eye are showing, right? Ears back, facial tension um, in their face, you know, not having an open mouth. Um, lifting up a paw is a sign of stress and nervousness, um, lip licking, yawning, 
be mindful when you're looking at trainers and you're trying to pick a trainer what their posts look like too because also <laughs> if they're posting photos where the dog is showing stress signals they are most likely not that educated in dog behavior you know oh, if they're posting a photo of a dog licking their lips oh oh yawning 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 he just mm -hmm. yawned Oh, he just cringed when the when the handler went to pet him. Yes. So just, you know, when picking a trainer, watch their videos, look at their pictures, talk to them. Um, stay down. away from trainers who use words like alpha, dominance, guarantee, people who offer to train your dog in one session because, again, that's not possible. So stay away from those, you know, red flag words when picking a trainer i'm cringing also like can you talk a little bit about tail wagging like just because they're tail wagging doesn't mean they're happy yeah so people like to um people think that oh tail wagging happy dog right um say you're approaching a chained dog <laughs> right the chained dog and he's barking at you and his tail is wagging and it's up high that dog is not trying to say hi to you <laughs> um <laughs> stay away um, so when you're looking at a dog's body language and you're trying to tell what they're feeling, you can't look at just one body part, right? You have to look at the whole dog. So the eyes, the face, the, what the mouth is doing, what the ears are doing, what the overall just whole body, are they leaning forward? Are they leaning backwards? And the tail. So not if it is wagging or not, but the carriage of the tail. So when some dogs meet other dogs, their tail will go straight up and it'll do short little really really fast wags right a lot of people say oh the dog's tail is wagging but the dog might be snarling <laughs> showing his teeth um be very tense and that's not a dog that's being friendly it's not being aggressive but he's aroused in some way you know he's and the low tail wag too like if you know their ears are back they're wagging their tail they're not ha they're nervous they're nervous exactly so a really confident dog is gonna approach you um, confident, like good confidence, you know, um, happy, I wanna say hi to you, is gonna approach you with a lowered head, eyes squinty, you know, saying hi, and the tail is gonna be doing, even with his back, wags, right? Maybe it'll be a little lower if he's just meeting you, right? Um, but those are all important, and a lot of times in these videos, the dog is not, you know, the tail is pretty, it's tucked. <laughs> when I'm training dogs, I like the tails to be neutral and wagging and, you know, having fun and the dog to be panting and smiling and having fun and engaging with me. You know, I don't want a dog who's just walking next to me like a robot. That's weird. So yawning, I didn't know this before I met Sarah. Oh. is a stress signal mm -hmm. unless you're like in bed yeah obviously they yawn when they're tired oh the lip licking like their appeasement behaviors can you talk about that like what people are gonna say well how do you know they're not just licking their lips okay well we're gonna tell you why okay so dogs are gonna lick their lips you know if they're eating something if you're showing them a treat they're gonna lick their lips Ooh, exciting um but dogs will also lick their lips if you know you take the camera out, a lot of dogs get uncomfortable by, you know, your phone in their face. And dogs will turn around, like turn their head. People say, oh, look, they're camera shy. 
um, and they'll be lip licking. Um, they're stressed out. Wait, um, I'm so shook right now. Why? Well, sex it to me. All of these pictures, they're all doing the things. This I know. one, ears back, tail low, wagging. This one, literally licking his lips. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wouldn't you be embarrassed to post that? Yeah, so that's what I was saying earlier. They don't like, know. If, you, if you're a trainer and you're posting, like, a bunch of pictures and, like, a bunch of your dogs are doing things like that. Um... So people will say, oh, nothing's wrong with my dog. Okay, well, you can see sometimes physical wounds of shock collars and other collars. You can see sometimes, again, only sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't see internal damage and you can't see it if sometimes your dog has long hair, whatever. But even, you know, the study was even to the trained eye, which many pet owners and trainers do not have, the psychological harm is not so clear. Lowered ear positions, freezing, lip licking, yawning, sniffing the ground, raising a paw, and avoiding eye contact are some of the indicators of the anxiety and unease that the dog is experiencing. Mm. And they found that dogs with these tools demonstrate more of these behaviors. So the next issue with these aversive tools is a significant risk of unintended consequences. So Sarah talks a little bit about this with your dog associating the pain or the shock or the jerk with a human instead of with pulling. Yes. Um, They did studies where the word heal when um, the pressure from a choke chain was applied with the word heal. Um, the dogs would tense up and brace themselves when they heard the word heel for the anticipated pressure rather than oh. um, for the actual pulling. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, they hear heel and it's Ugh, like, what's coming? They don't heel is not to them pulling because, again, they're excited when that's happening. Um, yeah. Real danger of unwanted association being made between the unpleasant punishment and some coincidental stimuli. So heal um, doesn't mean what heal means. So heal is supposed to mean walk right next to me, pay attention to me, right? So the yeah. dog took heal to mean heal is something I'm bad getting, is coming. Something bad is coming. It's a conditioned punisher now. That's yeah. what heal means. Mm. This is basic psychology. I mean, psych 100, literally. Yeah. Um, they did a study with um, personal injury cases for lawsuits for the, the ones that were dog attacks. Um, all of the attacks happened near the boundary of the property. And in every single case, this is with dogs with um, invisible fences. In every single case, the system was operational at the time of the attack. And in most of those cases, the dog did receive the shock. Mm-hmm. Um, so the findings you know, led the scientists to believe that um, there was the interpretation of that unconditioned aggression as a result of the dog having received the electronic shock and then that avoidance-motivated aggression mediated through fear reduction towards human stimuli. So I'm barking, I'm, you know, I'm aroused, I see a human passing with their dog and I get a shock while I'm feeling that, while I'm looking at the human. Mm-hmm. that's encouraging that behavior. And, you know, think about that as, you know, 
it would pertain to you. So you're frustrated, right? Because you're wearing a leash and you can't get to the person, right? So you're feeling frustrated. And then now you're adding something that's hurting you. We'll talk about that. Um, to the equation, that is going to fuel, like we said before, frustration fuels aggression. That is going to fuel your fire even more. And right? again, at least it would for me. Well, yeah, and it and it does. That that's this is like this is science based. I mean, it's not something you can. This is a fact. Like fe- frustration fuels aggression. You know, this is invisible fences. So the dog is not being reminded in that moment of you know there's not that leash there you're you're inside potentially Mm -hmm. and that emotional response is so strong it's confusing yeah it really is so dogs are smart and they're smart enough to know when they're wearing the tool and when they're not and even if you argue that they don't know when they're wearing the tool right um if you train them properly with it right the dog shouldn't know when it's wearing the shock collar because you want to be able to eventually not use one right um, either way, that's going to cause anxiety, you know, whether you know when it's on you or not, it's worse if they don't know if it's on them actually, because then it's just perpetual anxiety. Um, if I was wearing a shock collar, I am going to just feel anxious anyway, because this thing that makes me feel pain is on my neck. So Abby, can you talk about how you felt when you were wearing those vibrating um, bracelets? Oh, yeah. I'm blowing up my spot here. <laughs> um, like, to stop, like, habits, like, nail-biting, um, picking, like, hair, pulling, whatever. So the um, addition of – that's an example of positive punishment, the addition of something to stop a behavior. Yeah, I bought mm-hmm. these um, bracelets. Shout-out to Keen Habit Wear. Um, sponsor us, please. Um, <laughs> they're really cool. You train the bracelet to – whatever behavior you want it to stop doing. And whenever you do that behavior, it vibrates. You can do low, medium, high. You can do short, medium, or long duration. And, and you're have, in control of all of that. Yeah, I, it's from an app. Um, and I know when I have them on and when I don't. But I was telling Sarah, like, when I got them, I was, like, literally, like, oh, my God, is it, like, it going to go off? Like, is it going to have a false positive? Like, because it does. Like, you know. And it says that, like, you can lower the sensitivity based on if you're typing. Like, when I'm typing on the computer, they go off a lot because it's, like, mm-hmm. it thinks I'm doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And even when I – I told Sarah, like, even when I took them off, like, at night um, to charge them, I was still, like, thinking I'm going to get shocked. Like, I was, like, mm-hmm. expecting it. Yeah. And those are bracelets that are just vibrating that you chose to put on yourself. Yeah. You know, so imagine having something that's not just vibrating, you know, it's delivering an electric shock that you don't have static electricity. Yeah. That's producing static electricity that you don't have any choice in and that you can't take off yourself. You know, so that is what these dogs are facing. Um, And that's anxiety inducing. And again, like Abby said before, that study proves that stress inhibits learning so if your body is under just stress anyway because you use these tools you are not going to learn as quickly another couple like really interesting studies a vet um did they did a year-long survey of dog owners 
um, who use confrontational or aversive methods to train aggressive pets. And veterinary researchers um, found that most of these animals will continue to be aggressive mm-hmm. unless the training techniques are modified. So if you're using aggressive methods to train an aggressive dog, they're going to keep being aggressive because it's kind of like when you spank your child for hitting their brother or sister. Like, okay, what are you telling me to do? Because I'm hitting somebody and now you're hitting me. Like, yes. what? what do you want me to do? Like, I'm confused. Yeah, and that goes back also to, you know, being a calm leader, right? Um, I say this a lot because I work with dogs. The more out of control the dog gets, mm. the more in control you have to get. So... Add the... Let's add an applause track there. So, <laughs> you know, people like most often, you know, these tools are used maybe as a last resort or they're used for um, behaviors that are fueled by emotions. So like aggressive behaviors, reactive behaviors. So if your dog is out of control and then you're also getting out of control by getting frustrated and correcting your dog with a leash correction, with a prong collar, with a shock collar, whatever, um, that is not being a leader and showing your dog what you want them to do. You know, so I said to stay away from trainers that say things like alpha and dominance. Um, It is don't like, don't get me wrong here. And I think this is where, you know, positive reinforcement trainers get a bad rep. You still do need to be a leader and a teacher to your dog. You do just like you need to be a leader and a teacher to your child. I like what you say when you say like, when Russell isn't giving me the behavior I want, I'm not, he still has to do something that I want. For example, if I'm asking him to do like down or whatever, and he's not listening to me. Okay. I'm not just going to say, okay, well, he doesn't want to do it. So whatever. I'm still going to have him do something because yeah, he does need to listen to me because of safety, whatever, but I'm going to lower my criteria for Mm -hmm. him because clearly he's demonstrating to me that that's too difficult for him right now. Or he's not motivated to listen to me in that moment. So, yes, you still need to be, you know, a teacher. Maybe instead of leader, we can start saying teacher to our dogs, um, parents to our dogs. They need to listen to you, obviously, you know, like Abby said, for safety. You know, it's not safe to have an untrained dog. It's not. Um, So it is important to train your dog and be a teacher to them. But a benevolent, kind teacher, you know, not a teacher who's going to punish them when they do something bad. Um, my Russell started getting my Russell. My Russell. He can be a little bit um, reactive towards strangers, right? Um, in my apartment complex. So what I don't do is punish him for that because that's an emotional reaction. He's reacting like that because he's scared, right? Um, maybe there is some protective component of that. But the root cause of that is fear. So if I were to correct him with an e-collar every time he barked at someone, okay, maybe he'll stop barking. But that root feeling that he has. Oh, we didn't even talk about this. Oh, my God. That root feeling, that his emotional response to that person is not going away. So the symptom of it, the barking, right, that's going to go away. But he's still going to feel nervous around strangers. And then guess what? He's not going to bark and he's not going to growl. And now we have a dog who shows no warning signs. Ooh. It's extremely dangerous. So 
this is actually, I think, the most important <laughs> point with the use of aversives. It inhibits behavior and it inhibits Ooh. natural behaviors Ooh. that, you know, our dogs communicate with. So we like to inhibit barking. We like to inhibit growling. Um, if we create a dog who doesn't bark and who doesn't growl, we just made a dog, again, who is going to show no warning signs. What do you mean by warning signs? Warning signs that they're uncomfortable and they might react. So the okay. way a dog responds to something that makes them uncomfortable is that first they'll show stress signals. They'll try to move away. They'll avoid eye contact, right? They can't do all of that on a leash, though, because they're on a leash and they're restrained. Lip licking. Lip licking. Next stage of that, right, after the avoidance behaviors and the stress, stress signals is going to be a growl, right? Now, if we train our dogs and punish our dogs for growling, right, the dog's going to stop growling and go on to the next stage, <laughs> which is snapping, and then the next stage, which is biting, okay? Because they learned that their stress signals aren't making the bad thing go away. Their avoidance behaviors aren't. Their growl isn't. They just got punished for the growl. So they're just going to escalate straight to biting, which is a real, real issue. We want to make sure that our dogs are able to communicate, you know, give your fearful dog the option to not say hi to someone. Give your dog the opportunity to show that they're uncomfortable and give them choice. And I think that's where a lot of people, you know, fail is in that they don't give their dog choice. People expect their dogs to be okay in every situation, right? And if the dog's not a happy-go-lucky, smiley dog in every situation, something's wrong with the dog and it needs to get punished, which is not okay. You know, give your dog choice. Your dog doesn't like people. Okay, obviously we need to train our dogs so they're not barking and lunging at people, right? But... It's okay if your dog doesn't want to be patted on the head by every stranger that walks by. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to step up as the dog owner and be, you know, assertive and standing up for your dog. <laughs> yeah. Another, no, another study, the, um, another vet, uh, most people do not realize that the use of shock interferes with and suppresses normal canine behaviors. Mm not just behaviors that people find problematic. So again, that's what you were talking about. Like, yes. um, barking is a natural behavior. That's how they communicate. Yes. That is literally their voice. That's like, yes. Like putting. <laughs> that's how they express themselves. There's so many different types of bark. There's excitement barking. There's demand barking. There's alert barking. There's just pure, like, I'm so excited and I just can't hide it barking. There's fear barking. Like, and again, it is important that we train our dogs, right? Because we cannot have a dog that's barking incessantly, right? Because that's a problem behavior, right? We don't want our dog just barking 24 hours a day. So yeah, train your dog if this is an issue. But do not train your dog to never bark again. Bark yeah. collars that go off when the dog is barking are completely mm. and utterly ridiculous and need to be banned. Period. Dot dash. Yeah. Like, they... To punish a dog for barking is, is like, barbaric. Is punishing a human for communicating. Yes. And, <laughs> like, most of the dogs that wear bark collars, you know, they're not wearing bark collars... 
because of actual problem barking. They're wearing bark collars because of what they just bark. Because we can't hear you because you're walking away from your phone. Oh. They, they <laughs> are wearing bark collars because they're just barking because they're a dog. Well, um, or they're nervous. Sometimes your dog is barking because they have anxiety. So yes. that thing that you pop a Xanax for, um, yeah, dogs mm-hmm. also feel anxiety. Mm-hmm. And they're barking because they're nervous. So you're putting a shock collar on them or a static electricity collar on them to make them stop barking. But that's making them more anxious because now they're getting punished for expressing themselves and for yes. letting you know that there's danger. Like, mom, dad, somebody is in our house. There's an intruder here. And oh, my God. Email- now I'm getting pun- – I don't understand. And if you're not ready for any type of dog that might come out, then you can't get a dog. That might come out. Well, <laughs> if you're not ready for any type of behavior that a dog might have, you can't get a dog. Yes. Or, you know what? Get – adopt an, ad- an adult dog. You know, But that's even what- an adult dog might well, start. Yes. Um, Doing a certain behavior that you find distasteful, but you know what? It's a dog. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Russell has to pay. Um, We can pause it and then... Finally, we just want to talk a little bit about the common um, excuses or myths um, surrounding these aversive training methods. So first of all, um, a lot of people will say that they choose to get the invisible fence because standard fences are um, too expensive. So we did a quick um, little bit of research, and um, fence installation costs about fifteen hundred to three thousand for an average yard, with most homeowners spending about eighteen hundred. Okay. And um, the national average cost is eighteen hundred. Average range fifteen hundred to three thousand. Again. Um, minimum cost two hundred dollars if you have a really small yard. Maximum cost was ranging um, up to six thousand six hundred dollars. So that's maximum cost. Um, invisible fence. The minimum again two hundred. So the same as the fence and the maximum um, twenty five hundred. So a typical cost nine fifty to one thousand five hundred dollars. So we're at about the same, maybe a little bit less for the invisible fence, but the one thing that you need to consider is that batteries. Batteries need to be replaced every three months, they recommend. Let me see. Again, I'm on the invisible fence website, people. This is this is right here. <laughs> um, and you can only buy them through the store. So they're called PowerCat batteries. Um, can be purchased through our online store or by calling them. Also, another cost associated with it is you need multiple units if you have multiple dogs. A fence, you have one fence for all your dogs. Mm-hmm. Each collar needs to be trained to each dog. So if you have your friend's dog come over, you can't just slap on your extra collar on that dog because um, they go by it's height. It's a process. Well, it, yeah. yeah. It's a training process. Yeah, well, nobody does that anyway. But also just mechanically they um calibrate the collars to the dog's height in terms of where the stimulus will be looked for basically 
So if the dog is taller, like then the shock's not going to go off because they're looking for the dog, like a dachshund type, for example, if that's what the collar was calibrated for. Another thing is that it uses electricity. Um, not a huge amount, but it does contribute to your electric bill. With that, if your power goes out, mm-hmm. guess what also goes out? Damn. Your I never thought system. of that. And it says it right here on their website. Um, you have, you can choose an optional battery backup. It says if the power outage lasts an hour or more, that you should consider alternate methods of containment. So guess what? Power outage for more than an hour, even with the backup battery, you're SOL. Let's see. Oh, another thing. Um, the correction level on the collar can only be trained, changed by a trainer or a technician in the field or at the counter of your local dealer. So, if you think that it's too high or too low, um, you can't change it yourself. Hmm. So, a lot of people might, you know, just say, oh, okay, whatever, I don't feel like going to the store. So, okay, so your dog's getting, like, not the right level of correction, which is going to be unsafe for your dog. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to call them out, pay for the technician visit, whatever. Like, there's a lot of costs associated with it. Or guess what? You're something... You know, your line gets damaged, guess who has to come out and fix it? Mm-hmm. You're moving, guess what? You got to get a new fence yeah. at your new location. Another thing, fences add property value to your home. So, yeah, you might be spending a little bit more on the outside, but that mm-hmm. isn't increased your property value. That, you know, na- nationwide, fences yeah. increase property value. Pertaining to safety... The invisible fence might protect your dog from leaving the yard, but it does not protect against other animals coming in. So, yes. say another dog, you know, potentially you have an aggressive dog comes into your yard. Your dog has no way to leave. Um, predator, you know, if you have a little small guy. Skunks, anything like that. Your dog can't escape. And, you know, a bunch of things can come in Raccoons. the yard. Raccoons. Um, yeah, and, and porcupines, yeah. coyotes, coyotes. If that's fence, like that's also going to keep your dog safe from the outside world. You know. Mm-hmm. So again, because these the invisible fence is designed to be a training tool, you have to go through ex- you know a lot of training with them. And I don't know about you, Sarah, but I haven't seen anybody doing these training things. So it says, I have. So when you get it installed. A trainer does come, the invisible fence person comes and does a few sessions with your dog, actually. These trainers, I'm not sure if they're just certified through the invisible fence or if they're actual, you know, trainers. That'll be something to look into. Well, the reason I said that I don't think a lot of people do the training right is because um, we've seen a lot of dogs who are scared to cross the boundary. And if yes. you do it correctly, quote, correctly, then that shouldn't be happening. Yes. So what is, why is your dog that petrified to cross this line? If it doesn't hurt and if it doesn't have any negative effects, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, so that's a major issue. Um, dogs, I've, I've seen it firsthand multiple times. Dogs will, are, are so, so scared. They put the brakes on to leave, you know, and that poses an issue, you know, if, what if you can't take your car out and you can't drive your dog to the bottom of the driveway 
Um, what do you mean by that? So a lot of dogs that are that scared, in order for people to be able to just walk them around the block, they have to put them in the car and drive them down the driveway. <laughs> um, people, obviously, in those cases, can forget to take the collar off. And then now your dog is getting shocked while it's in the car. Negative association with the car now. Um, yeah, it's... And they're not, you know, like I said, they can't protect against the outside world from entering your yard. And they're not foolproof. You know, they're man-made tool, right? They're electrical. So like Abby said, um, power could go out. It could not work. And yeah, the dog isn't, if they're trained properly, obviously the dog isn't getting shocked multiple times a day. Hopefully they're only getting shocked once, you know, and then they learn. But still, it's not going to make the sound, right, if the power is out, to warn them. And the dog might pick up on that because dogs are smart. And for dogs with a high prey drive, sometimes chasing that squirrel is going to be more reinforcing than, you know, the potential risk of the punishment of the shock. So I don't trust them. And... We had one friend who's, um, they were getting worked on in their house and their, the power line got hit and they didn't realize it. And the dog was like getting intermittent shocks just randomly Stop. and they didn't know. Yeah. They didn't notice until like a couple of days or a couple of weeks later. <laughs> and so the dog was just getting shocked randomly and like they had to, you know, it took them a while to notice and they had to have somebody come out, repair the line, whatever. Yeah. Um, so on the training, they don't, it doesn't look like they have any, um, outside independent training. It looks like they have, um, it says they created their own training, perfect start plus training program and their trainers are certified in that. So it's their own quote oh. training program that they created for invisible fence. Yeah. Just with the boundary thing, like clearly <laughs> it's like an issue because <laughs> I just feel like no when I, I was babysitting once and the dog I want to take the dog on a walk and he wouldn't go across the line and I I like called the parents I'm like what how am I supposed to get him to come on a walk with us They're like oh you have to pick him up and carry him across the driveway and I was like I cannot pick your 100 pound dog up yeah and carry him and it was so sad. Like, he was, like, whimpering and, like, cowering. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my God. And I had to, like, yeah. show him. I'm like, it's okay. Like, and that's just, like, you know, it, it, you can say it doesn't hurt all you want. But, like, it, it might not, quote, <laughs> I don't even. It might not hurt in what you think of as hurt. But the fact that they're having that neg such a negative association, it, yes. it's evident. It's, it's exactly. evident. Exactly. Like, it's definitely not pleasant if the dog is terrified. And you might argue, okay, well, like, it's to keep them safe. Like, it's good if they're terrified. No. I don't, <laughs> personally, I don't want my dog to ever have that type of fear response to, to, to anything. To anything. Let alone crossing an invisible boundary. You know, like, that is just not Okay. Even their website says, the correction from a computer caller may be uncomfortable and startling to your pet. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is from their 
Um, I mean, even if you ever like, I just implore anyone who, you know, utilizes this equipment to just take, just take a minute to have like a thoughtful moment of reflection on like the actual tool, you know, yeah. they literally call them correction posts. It's, yeah. It delivers a s- static electric uh-huh. shock uh-huh. to a dog's neck, which is a sensitive area. And the design is that only one finger should be able to squeeze between the correction post and their skin. So if you think that that doesn't feel, if you think that that feels comfortable, whether or not they're in excruciating pain all day, obviously, you know, nobody is saying that. But if you think that that's comfortable, then I would just implore you to maybe have a thoughtful reflection period. Yeah. Through some meditation. There's so many alternatives, you know, whether it being fencing in your whole yard, fencing in a portion of your yard. That's what we did with my old dog. You know, we have a big yard and we couldn't afford to fence in the whole thing. So we fenced in off of our deck, you know, um, you could use, um, long lines, you know, obviously always under supervision, um, with your dog wearing a harness. Yeah. And people think that these collars like, Oh, well I want them to be able to go out and run, you know, and just be able to like do whatever they want. Okay. But that's also not safe. Because you should really be supervising them anyway. Yes. Because, again, these are not foolproof. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, even I found people who use e-collars really don't walk their dogs that much. I don't know. Maybe we'll make a little poll, Abby. Ooh. Um, Yeah. Because they, most people with e-collars, they have really big yards, right? So they say, oh, I want my dog, like Abby said, to be able to run around, do whatever they want, enjoy the yard. Um. So a lot of times these dogs don't get walked also because, you know, it's, they're scared to cross the boundary. Mm-hmm. You have a big, beautiful yard, supervise your dog. Te- Ooh, train them. Whoa. Cause your dog shouldn't be outside in your ginormous yard unsupervised anyway. So if your dog has a really awesome recall, then have your dog off leash in your unfenced in yard, you know, that's going to take a lot, a lot of training, you know? utilize a 50 foot leash have your dog drag a 50 foot leash while they're outside with you um train your dog walk your dog (laughs) train your dog um if you can't afford a fence yeah it's like not everybody can and that's okay so find other places um well if you can't afford a fence then you can't afford an invisible fence so this shouldn't be an issue um (laughs) and you know it's okay like just walk your dog. I and don't have a yard of any means right now, but my dog runs around off leash. Yeah, that's true. Because I bring him places, you know? And for those who say like, oh, offense would aesthetically not mm-hmm. pleasing. Yeah. Um, you know what? That's something that you really need to consider before you bring an that was animal to um, your home. That I think that's a common argument because people like Very the look of like the rolling hillsides in my backyard. <laughs> but fences can be like really, really nice. And like Abby said, they really increase the property value of your house. So, no, you don't have to get an ugly chain link fence. Obviously, a big, beautiful vinyl fence is going to be a lot of money. But I think that that's really an investment that's going to enhance how your house looks, it's going to enhance the safety for your pet and other pets, your and kids your kids um and 
if you're really that worried about how your yard looks, then seriously, like seriously, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> consider that. Like, think just you know we would just implore you to consider that before you bring an animal into your home who needs another another excuses oh they don't hurt so again we we can't we talked about this like a lot but it it feel you know um people compare it to um like when you walk across the carpet and then you touch the tv like again you might say okay that doesn't hurt okay but think about that on your neck Mm-hmm. You're not expecting it. It's mm-hmm. coming at a time when you're already on edge. Because also, yeah, you're going to get, think about it. Like, you, it, when the dog does get shocked by it, it is when they don't expect it. You know, it's yeah, one yeah. thing if you're getting shocked, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to shock you with this now already. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then <laughs> when the dogs do get shocked by it, it's because they're chasing something. Maybe they're following their mom to the mailbox. Like, they're distracted, and then all of a sudden, like, bam, that sucks. <laughs> or and, and especially with the ones that you can control or the ones that are for barking. Like, a lot of times, those have a lot of false positives. Mm-hmm. Sarah can attest to that. They, they go off when other dogs, they say that you can use them in yeah. multiple homes, right? Yeah, um, you, you can't. <laughs> no because i'm sorry i just i just don't trust that even vibrating collars even you know the citronella collars and multi-dog houses or just in general it's not fair they sell this thing actually um a nice alternative to a bark collar we do a little plug here the pet tutor only if they're gonna sponsor us all right sponsor us hannah <laughs> okay so Hannah, is that her name? Yeah, Hannah. People use bark collars a lot if their dogs bark when they're not home, right? Um, so what do you really do when you're not home? You need something that's going to train your dog when you're not there. So the pet tutor, instead of by using punishment, uses reinforcement to train your dog when you're not home. So, you know, it's a little device, and you can set it to reward your dog on a set interview interval that you can change over time, you know, to increase. And it can... Um, reward your dog after a certain amount of time of silence. So mm. if you're trying to train your dog to stop barking when you're not home, first you set it for just every five seconds, right? If your dog barks, okay, it's it's go- it's going to wait five seconds, and then it's going to reward. And then your dog is going to catch on, and then you just gradually increase the time. Sponsor us, please. I'm just kidding. Not really. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think that's pretty much the most common. I mean, pretty, really, people who use aversive training methods want quick, quick results that they think they don't want to work with their dog. And you know what? If you're going to get a dog, you have to be ready to work. It's like if you're going to have a kid, you have to be ready to work. You're going to get a dog. You got to be ready to work. So Yeah, and... You know, it's important to note that these aversive tools do work for the behavior you're trying to change. That's not what we're saying. So yeah, like Sarah, if you Sarah want your, always says that. Like, she's like, yeah, they'll make your dog stop barking. Yeah. It will. I can be an aversive trainer and go to someone's house and put a bark collar on their dog, right? Yes. Your dog is going to start stop barking a lot quicker than using positive reinforcement. 100%. I'll get your, like, it'll, within a day, within a few barks, you know, 
really, really quick results. You can get your leash reactive dog to stop reacting by using a shock collar or a prong really, really quickly. But the fallout, like all of the negatives that we just listed, just it's, it is just not worth it. And it's not ethical to do that to our pets, our family members, you know? And it's not safe for them or for you because the, the potential for that aggression and that redirection mm -hmm. to come back on you, it's not mm -hmm. worth the risk. And, the, and, you know, your kid is handling the dog. It's not safe. And there's a reason that these tools have been banned in other countries. The United Kingdom has banned them. Canada mm -hmm. is pushing legislation to ban them. They will be banned here within a decade or two um i hope so should we tell them our surprise now our surprise this week we're doing a special uh, two-part <laughs> because we didn't want to leave you on a bad note you know obviously if you have these tools in your house or you work with a trainer that used these tools before um and it maybe it might be working for you right now we we would love to give you some um, alternatives to try and mm -hmm. let us know how it worked for you. So um, we, we mentioned we threw out some, some terms like positive reinforcement. So we would love to kind of give you guys um, a tour into that. So mm -hmm. tomorrow we're going to be dropping our special Tuesday mm -hmm. episode on mm -hmm. positive reinforcement. And we're going to have a talk with our um, special guest Sarah from Sarah and Abby's Weekend Adventures um, <laughs> discussing positive reinforcement and how you can, you know, it's not too late for you to, to try something new. And no, if you don't like it, then okay. But if you do, and then yeah, um, like Abby mentioned in the beginning, this episode wasn't to bash people, um, hurt people's feelings, <laughs> make them feel like they're wrong for doing something. We're just trying to educate and advocate, you know. So, Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Educate and advocate. Educate and advocate. I'm gonna get a shirt. Yeah, of it's that. really about misinformation, and so you're not a bad person for using exactly. these tools. Your mom and your dad aren't a bad person. Your grandma's not a bad person. It's the, about misinformation. The bad people are the educated, the people trainers, who are yeah, trainers, and recommending them. And like I mentioned before, my family was fooled. Mine too. We had a yeah. We went to to a chain. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um. So yeah. You know, you're not. You're not. You're not alone. If you use them, so don't beat yourself up. It's not too late to change. Um. And we'll be discussing that. You know, in our next episode. Yeah. So we would really love to hear from you guys. Definitely don't want to put anybody off. Um. We really just want to help. Like help. We just want to help people. Yeah. No, like we really feel like this would enrich your life. Um, so just yeah, try it. It opens up a whole new, you know, using positive reinforcement also like is really going to enhance your relationship with your dog. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was literally just about to say that because like I never used like um, obviously any of these tools. Well, except for our first dog, we had a choke chain for like a minute, but when Sa when I, when Sarah became trainer certified or whatever, she started telling me all these like techniques or whatever. And I started using them on our dog, and like I just feel like it's so much more fun because I feel like you know sometimes when you like have to take the dog for a walk, you're kind of like 
like, all right, whatever. But now it's kind of <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to practice like everything that I've been learning. And so I feel like it's, it's kind of cool for you because you're like, oh my God, like I'm literally like learning something too. And like, yes. yesterday I taught her a new trick and like, that was so cool for me yes. because I felt accomplished. So like, even if, you know, and before we would, you know, even kind of, we would yell at her for like, let's say chasing the cat or whatever. And then, you know, and Sarah taught me like, well, she's not chasing the cat to like, because she's trying to be mean to the cat. She's chasing the cat because she has a natural drive to chase prey. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, how can I like work with that? It's kind of like a puzzle. So I think mm-hmm. it's yes. really, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. Having my own puppy, you know, he's proven to be a very high energy man. So it's, it's. He's not a puppy fun. anymore. Oh, it's his birthday. Today's his birthday. Big boy. Well, yesterday, because so, we're posting tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. May 3rd is his birthday. Um, sometimes things work really easily. Sometimes your dog surprises you and picks up on it in one second. Yeah. And you're like, wait, like Daisy what? learned yesterday. She learned like a whole new trick. And Sarah told me she was really, that means she's really smart. And so it's yeah. like really cool. And, you know, instead of having like kind of a power dynamic with your dog, which I think those trainers like you to have, like think, think that you, that you need. Yes. Like, rule by intimidation your dog is your submissive blah 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 um well submissive to you <laughs> um what <laughs> was that a bdsm reference yeah, I I messed it up. hashtag bdsm <laughs> um instead of having that like intimidation factor with your relationship with your dog it's more of a team you know it's more like you're working on solving something as a team which I think is a really good way of like living because like you're sharing your life with another animal, which is so cool. You know, like your best pal <laughs> is another Man's species. best friend. Yeah, is, is another species. And that's so cool. So why make that like a power dynamic? Make it like a friendship, you know? Yeah, because everyone and their mom who uses these tools, what's the first thing that comes out of their mouth? I love my dog. Yeah. You know, I'm not hurting my dog. I, I love my dog. I want to take care of my dog. I love my dog. Okay. If you, like, try, you know, we would just, again, implore you to consider trying something new. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's okay to, again, when you learn new information, like me, I was like, I'm going to yell. Obviously, I'm going to yell at her when she teaches the cat. That's bad. Okay. I learned something new. And guess mm-hmm. what? Now, we're not yelling at her when she teaches the cat. We're rewarding her when the cat comes in. Mm. And she doesn't react to her. Yes. And that's working a lot better for us. Yes. It's okay oh. to change your mind about things. It's okay to... It's okay. Yes. People. And it's okay to admit you're wrong. Like, it's well, okay, it's okay to, to have... admit that you didn't know, too. It's okay exactly. to... Exactly. Like, no. like, yeah, I obviously feel terrible that I used to use those methods on my old dog. So, okay, now I'm not using those methods anymore. I was wrong and I was not educated. Instead of being like, okay, well, no, because if I say that, then I was just, that means I was abusing my dog. So I'm going to keep doing it. No, she, she got new information. So she changed mm-hmm. her beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, if any of you have any scientific articles. Oh yeah, we would love to read that. On punishment, you know, and how that works better. Like the benefits 
of a prong collar, a choke collar, an e-collar on learning, on learning, please forward them to us. Because I personally have not ever seen one in yes. my life. Ever. Um, <laughs> I've only seen positive reinforcement. But, no, but seriously, like, if there was an art, if someone does research and finds something different than what we're talking about, I would love to read it. Mm-hmm. It would have to be, like, from May 1st, 2020, because it. There's literally no... Yeah, if it's, like, brand new. There's literally no peer-reviewed article that is no, that supports not. the argument that positive punishment... I mean, you can look in any psychology book. It's, like, literally, like, positive reinforcement is the most effective way to learn. Done. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah, it is. But our email is sarahabby.veganadventures at gmail.com. So, yeah, we, we will read it, and we will respond to you, because we are... We love to be informed. Yes. We do. We do. I do. What? You say I don't? I do. No, no, like we do. We all do. <laughs> all right, we're going to let you guys go, but tune in tomorrow and yes, learn about positive reinforcement and how you can use it to enhance your life and enhance your dog's life. And you don't have to revitalize your life to try positive reinforcement. You don't have to have an awakening and convert. It's yeah. not that serious. It's okay. Yes. It's okay. Yes. I promise. Yes. I promise. <laughs> okay. See you next Goodbye. time. <laughs> Goodbye.